This audio is recorded from Skype. It is not from our standard mics, so it's a bit shitty. I'm sorry. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mixed Reviews Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Paige, and we have my other lovely host here, Sasha. Today, we are talking about a film from The Daniels, uh, which I just learned is what they go by. I had no idea. I looked this up on IMDb, and I swear to God, there were two different names, but I'm also illiterate, so what do I know? We are talking about Swiss Army Man in celebration of everything, everywhere, all at once, which I am seeing tomorrow, and you have already seen, like, what, two, three times? I've seen it three times. You've seen it three times. I have a co-worker that said they saw it uh, twice already as well, and I'm excited to see it tomorrow. Sure but you. you brought this up. You wanted to do Swiss Army Man. Any particular reason? Because I just saw everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once. i never seen this movie, and it's only their second movie. Yeah. No, I actually kind of feel bad that you're going to watch that after this episode because it'll be it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on their second movie in comparison to their first movie. So, to summarize this film, because I feel like this film deserves a summary because we're going to be talking about things that are not going to make sense. Yeah, and, for sure. And I feel like a lot of people have not seen this movie. Um, Which is so of, weird. I know. It's kind of like a sleeper. Like, people have heard of it, but like really nobody saw it. I saw it almost immediately when it came out. Um, cause I, I've got like the biggest fan crush on Daniel Radcliffe. I think he's a tremendous actor. Um, and like easily the best thing that has come out of the Harry Potter films. And I'm looking forward to following his career. Um, but what we have with Swiss Army Man is Paul Dano is or is not a man who gets stranded on an island. <laughs> it's still kind of. They never go an- into it either. They never do, but I'm curious to kind of talk about, like, what I saw. Because I watched this film twice, back to back. Um, and he is stranded there in this, like, deserted location. And randomly, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's dead body washes up on shore. And he discovers that the dead body can do everything he needs to survive and make it in the wilderness. Is it all in his head? Is it not all in his head? Is he a necrophiliac? Is he gay? Is he possibly trans? We will never know because this movie doesn't tell you. <laughs> but overall, it's a beautiful movie. I call this I call this the frat boy existential crisis movie. This is very much in that vein. Yeah, yeah. This is like essentially like a bros rom com. Yeah. And like and like when we were talking about it being two directors, this makes total sense. It being two directors too. By the way, why is like. That- like, cause it, like I said, it like it feels like a bro rom com. Like, it, if you think of like this movie like as a concept, you it sounds like two two guy best friends hanging out, like getting high and being like, what if, what if this, what if Castaway had a dead body <laughs> that was also like a superhero and flatulence. Yeah. So yeah. And also after seeing them at a Q and A too, that's like a hundred percent their like thought process too when they They're do just- shit. They're just like what high if, frat dudes. Well, not like high frat dudes, but they're like they 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 conceptualize their screenplays by being like, what if this happened? Like, what would it be like? And then they're just I like, like that. Let's just write it. Yeah, I so, like that because you get original ideas that way. For sure, for sure. And this, there's, I mean, yeah, is this just Castaway? But it's Castaway with a twist. I also like how his name's Hank Thompson. Yeah, did so you hear Tom that? Tom Hanks. Yeah, I like that oh. too. 
Um, this is definitely so we, like a, a very much a director debut movie, which I feel like we definitely do a lot of. But I, this makes understandably seeing their second one too. It it makes sense because uh, this was a really good movie for especially for a first movie. Yeah, there's it feels this feels more seasoned than it should. Like the shots, the way the structure of the story, the way everything like kind of pans out, how it is very much show don't tell, which I feel like a lot of first time directors make the mistake of doing a lot of telling and not enough yeah. showing. And they shot this at 22 days. Yeah, that's nuts. I bet that was a fun little camping trip, though. Yeah, right, right. Just 22 days out California. Yeah. With a... I mean, they're, yeah, their new movies shot in, like, 35, too. Like, they... Oh, they they're must, quick. Yeah, well, I mean, they must know what exactly. they want right away. I wonder if that's, like, the... um. And I do want to circle back to the conversation about having two directors. But I wonder if that might be, like one of those things that's helpful about having two people in, in the director's chair instead of just like the traditional one person. It could be. And I don't know why it's not more common because directing a movie, I mean, you have like, what what's the minimum for a crew? Like, and I'm talking everybody, like a hundred people? Starting. I mean, if you're talking just people on set? Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably you're starting around a hundred. So you have one person essentially in charge, quote unquote in charge. I'm sure there's facets yeah. to everything, but there manning and taking care of a hundred plus people it would make sense to have multiple people doing a directing or at least having like some sort of standby i mean yeah. the cohen brothers do it most yeah. of the time well i think a lot of it nowadays too i think it comes from like the the ego of filmmaking like director integrity or it's like oh i feel like it, people view it the same way it's very opinionated the way it's like when singers don't write their own music yeah. Well, it's like, well, they're not a songwriter. They're a singer. They're a performer. Like, yeah, it makes sense. But like, there's that there's people have that, you know, kind of like, no, you're not a director. If you if you know, you're getting help from somebody or something like that. But I think people forget, especially with movies, making movies is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very collaborative. Yes. Um, and I think like because I, I feel kind of hypocritical because I did kind of like make a comment about how like for the Eternals, they like. Chloe Zhao was the director, but they had to bring in a completely separate director to do the action scenes because she just doesn't, she's not an action director. Yeah. But like for me, I was like, then why the fuck is she directing a superhero movie in the first place? Yeah. Um, so that's where I feel a little bit hypocritical because on the opposite side, you get like the Coen brothers and like even the Wachowskis and mm -hmm. like, I guess the even Russos. the Russos. Yeah. Um, so you get those pairs that work really well together. And I like these guys because they're not related. They're not, they're just two people that, so... Let's hope they don't have a falling out. The band doesn't break up. It's yeah. easier when it's siblings, because then you just kind of have that mutual understanding. Like, this is my sibling, and, like, I love yeah. them, but I also want to strangle them, but we'll be together forever. Yeah. Also, at the end of the day, all that money circulates the same the same pulse point, I feel like, in their minds. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hope everything gets split 50-50 and there's no argument over who does more. But I, I really think it makes more sense to have multiple people in charge, because it's very hard to find someone that specializes in everything in terms of directing and finding what works. Um, it's just unheard of. Back in the day when you would make movies, you'd have, like, a crew of, like, what, 40 people? Yeah. Just and it's like one dude with a script and like everything's kind of like shit and terrible and you just kind of figure it out as you go. Now it's this big massive production. It's like just it huge takes years out of your life. Yeah, like hundreds of millions of dollars. People. Yeah, it seems weird to me that. I mean, it, it's kind of cool, I guess, that it does get placed on the shoulders of like a select few. But mm -hmm. it's like, aren't there enough select few in filmmaking now? Like, isn't it fine if two people direct the same movie? I, feel like I, I think. I think especially in the realm that we have, like, 
what we're talking about. This is a really original movie. Yeah. I think that we would have way more original movies if you had more than the same fucking five people directing every movie that came out every year. Yes. Like, even if they were just teaming up with each other. Yeah. I would love so. to see, like, a Spielberg, Scorsese, like, get some of the veterans and oh, God, force them. So- I, I would love to see, like, a collaborative Oscars. Like, that's how the Academy's done. Like, each year you get, like, teams. And you, like, pull people from the industry and they make the movie. And that they have to pitch it and market it and do the four-year consideration campaign. And, like, that's how you make the Oscars. So it's actually like, like a fantasy contest. football. Yeah, yeah. It's like a year, it's like a year, too long, year, two-year-long, like, like game. <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> who's going to make the best fucking movie? Oh, Spielberg's production got pushed back two months. Oh, no. This needs Henry to be Cavill a- got me too. <laughs> this needs to be a British game show. <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that. Oh, it's too psychological. It'd have to be a Japanese one. Oh, They'll yeah. come out wearing like neon costumes. <laughs> Michael Bay's a highlighter and he's like, who's going to be on my team? <laughs> I, this, this movie, I, I don't yeah, know. Getting back to, to our movie. Oh yeah. Talking about. The movie that we're talking about. I do like the conversation of us both being okay with uh two directors though because it is something people don't talk about and like the production that goes into a film you should have more people but i i find there's much more of a winning streak with two directors well yeah i mean i feel like you don't burn yourself out as quickly yeah you like i don't know like filmmaking like i said filmmaking is very collaborative and i feel like to isolate directors the way that they do doesn't seem especially now with how many ideas go into movies like it doesn't really feel like a a really sustainable way to do things because that's just especially with movies being like upwards of three hours long yeah like i've i've made shot lists i've had to go through and like do script breakdowns you do that for a three hour long movie and then you have to go on set and direct the whole thing you better love that movie with every fucking bit of heart and soul that you have and most of the time they don't they just get handed a check and someone's like and like oh yeah this seems cool and it's like well why don't you split the money pay two people to do it who really want to make this movie and then make it good yeah yeah, then it, you run into a lot of stuff nowadays where it's just directors for hire. Like, that's essentially what Marvel does. They're just oh, like, yeah. here's the script we put out. Who is willing to tackle this beast? Yeah, it's basically like a template. They, like, fill it out. They're like, spider, hero, <laughs> teenager. All right, who's going to be the best director? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's um, just a plinking, uh Plinketto board or whatever that they yeah, put down. Yeah, the Plinkos. It's just, okay, boop, 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 boop. And it's Sam Raimi. Interesting <laughs> choice. <laughs> oh, we put them on there. All right, so we have Swiss Army Man. Um, where would you like to start? I Okay, I'm going to be I'm gonna be basic because it's my first time watching it. I'm going to start at the beginning, the very beginning, because opening on your main character trying to hang himself in a cave is a is a bold fucking move that is a that's a heavy choice to make an island in the caribbean yeah well i feel like that that kind of eases it a bit because then you're like oh okay um i i get why he's killing himself (laughs) but Uh um so i think that's funny and then him immediately going back to trying to kill himself when he realizes the body that washes up is dead um, I also really like that it's um it's not like a normal castaway-esque movie. Like you find him at the end of his like being abandoned yeah. and like he gets back to society. Well, 
to continental America, I guess, like pretty quickly. Which, if we can go into spoilers real quick, there's one thing I noticed watching this movie all the way through and then going back and immediately watching it again. It starts on a Caribbean island. Like, literally, this man is off the coast of Puerto Rico. Yeah. And then rides Daniel Radcliffe like a sea dew somehow into, like, I'm going to assume they're in, like, Manchester because there's, like, lots of waves and there's, like, yeah. a big, like... And then everything is, like, forest, normal America uh, at the end of the movie. So my question is, and again, this is very much, it's a whatever. It's whatever you want to view it as. How he got there and what's going on really isn't important to the theme of the movie, which is basically a pathetic weirdo and you sympathizing with a pathetic weirdo, uh, which works. Um, I think what this is supposed to be and what the underlying sort of reason he's there is he's just a crazy person that went and lived in the woods and was never on an island. Like, he was never on an island. He was never in the Caribbean. What if he was just high the whole time at the beginning? And it's just like a very long drug metaphor. So he felt like he was on an island because he was high and then he wasn't. It could, <laughs> it could, but with what we learn about his character and how repressed he is, do you really think this dude is doing drugs? I don't fucking know. I don't know how he got there. <laughs> he probably should be. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, yeah, they don't they don't explain it. I I like that idea because I feel like the it's island's not what the movie's about. Yeah, but like the island's also like kind of a metaphor, and you kind of feel like it's a metaphor, but it's like yeah. there for like just a blip. Like, you're right, the movie's not about that, so it's not really something that you put a whole lot of thought towards. But I remember, like, because, I mean, as soon as I went into the movie, it's kind of one of those movies where it's so odd. You're like, okay, this is not going to be, like, really the way I think it's going to be. And at first I was like, it's going to be, like, a fight club thing. And, like, like Daniel Radcliffe's, like, not there. Or he's, yeah. like, a bundle of sticks or something. Or, like it's him who was dead the whole time or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it already kind of puts you into that place of like, yeah, what what is his deal? Also, they never they never talked to you like his whole like his backstory really. He just didn't like his dad other than other than that, you don't really know anything about him. And he never masturbated. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's essential and then the whole movie is just that. It's him in the woods with Daniel Radcliffe uh as like his dead body Swiss army knife that does everything and sort of the camaraderie and the building of a relationship that happens between a dead guy who can kind of talk but not really and a dude that's coming to terms with how his life has played out and the type of person he's become through explaining life and what it means to a dead person that can't remember anymore. It's all it's almost a zombie film kind of. It reminds yeah. me a lot of Warm Bodies. Yeah, I was gonna say um, this could I think this would also work kind of well as like one of those uh philosophical sci-fis mm -hmm. like if somebody i don't know if that's already a movie but if somebody found an alien that was like what is earth or like a robot or something <laughs> oh i'm pretty sure i can't think of any right now oh ai okay i know um i guess it's a way more fucking weird version but like detroit become human is kind of like oh God. humanity through the eyes of fucking androids not a um, cage <laughs> i hate David Cage makes horrible games. <laughs> I hate him. They're just like movies. They're not really game. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I don't see a whole lot of playing. 
<laughs> oh, I'm excited. I'm gonna go turn on this dystopian, like, angry world where everybody hates each other. I'm gonna go have a cyber divorce. It's exciting. <laughs> I actually just played Detroit Become Human, so it's fresh in my mind. That game is terrible. It wants to be so much more than it is. Yeah, I just remember the walkthrough was just 90% just Connor walking around. Connor! <laughs> looking for shit. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is like, um... And I feel like if it were done, if this concept, first of all, I don't think this concept could have been conceptualized by lesser directors, but I think that if yeah. lesser directors had tackled this, it would not have turned out nearly as well or like as memorable or like as stylized as it is. Because I just feel stylized. like, yeah, because at the end of the day, I feel like it's it's really just like two guys. Like that's where I kind of feel like you can understand that it's a directorial debut because it's very simple. It's just two guys kind of like talking about the world and you have the gimmick that sets up and the gimmick just can keep keeps working and keeps working over and over and over again because like Manny doesn't know anything. And yeah, yeah he becomes more and more, you know, knowledgeable as the movie goes on. But like he's going to have to keep learning things like that's the thing. He's not just going to like be right back at it. Yeah. What did you think of the performances of Paul Daniel, D Paul Dano, and Daniel Radcliffe? Oh, great! I think uh, I, I'm really like between wondering if Paul Dano actually keeps like people in his basement, or if he's just that good of an actor. But he's just too good at being creepy. He's too good at being somebody that I don't want to approach in public. He, he, he very much, so I find him more sympathetic. He's very good at playing, like, very obviously the wallflower in high school type of guy. That's why I think it's scary, because that's, like, the real creepy person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, Russell well, Crowe in Unhinged is, like, real Russell Crowe, right? But that's not, like, a real person. Yeah. Like, Paul Dano's characters are, like, oh, that was the sticky kid that sat behind me in high school. And, like, now I kind of feel bad I didn't talk to him more. <laughs> Because <laughs> now he's potentially Dano. fondling dead Daniel Radcliffe's in the middle of the forest. <laughs> and Daniel Radcliffe's stiff body acting is pretty great. Daniel Radcliffe, so if I could take a moment to once again praise Daniel Radcliffe. One, he's he's a very well-rounded actor. Like, he can pretty much do it all. Which is one... so crazy, because he only did one thing for so goddamn long. I know! Like, how, like he's honestly kind of like a like a wonder of the world because like not only can I look at him and not see Harry Potter almost yep. never I almost never see Harry Potter when I look at, I'm like oh that's Daniel Radcliffe like are yep. you stupid yep. and also had one job lived his whole first part of his life on one job and he acts circles around people who've been on like multiple TV shows and in multiple different series he's he's incredible every time i catch him in something like other than harry potter i'm like this dude is really good he needs to get a better agent he's also very hindered by his height because he did oh, not oh yeah he's small isn't he, he he's like five inches taller than i am and i'm five feet tall he's like five foot five five foot six damn like he borderlines on dwarfism like he's i don't <laughs> know i don't know what he's a very tiny man he can't get these, like, big leading roles, essentially, which he fully deserves based on his talent, particularly yeah. because of his height. So he needs to get in with Tom Cruise's Scientology, uh, because they're the same height, and that will push him into stardom. I don't know if Scientology funds the soapboxes Tom Cruise stands on, but the I Apple think Apple boxes? That's, yeah, that's what it has you to know do. 
they um the uh it's one of those things like apple box is already like the film term but because of tom cruise the new hollywood or like the newer hollywood term they call them man makers because they make men <laughs> taller <laughs> oh my god this, i was like oh wow yeah there's a lot of hollywood slang that uh did not age well <laughs> the bag of blacks for one what what is that one? what is that one you explain if you have if you have if you have black flags they just come around in a bag and they're like when you rent them out they just called the bag of flags yeah, i think if you get white hollywood. ones it's a bag of whites good job hollywood you're yeah. doing great but uh the one the one thing that people don't i think everybody knows daniel radcliffe is a decently talented actor um but one thing they don't give him credit on is he has impeccable comedic timing with he's all real of his, funny. He's a funny dude. Um, he does this show. I think it's on Hulu or something. It's it's for Steve Buscemi is God or something. Oh, Miracle Workers. Yeah, Miracle Workers. Yeah. It is only hysterical because of him. He every line he delivers is pure gold. And in this as well, he's even stilted by the fact that he has to restrain his jaw to like appear more yeah. dead. And all of his line delivery and his is movement just, too. He's not supposed to like move. Yes. I always think of uh, when he's on the bus and it's like just a wide shot. And he's like, hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> he's hysterical. In this film. And Paul Dano has never been a funny actor, but he does a very good job playing off of Dano. He has a Reckless. funny face. I feel like Paul Dano's presence is just funny. Paul but Dano I've, never, I've never heard him be funny. <laughs> he, no, he, he's a very good actor, but he's not he's not quite funny. I've watched a lot of Paul Dano's work. One of the, my favorites of his is Ruby Sparks. Um, and he's very good in that. But he's not comedic at all. And this movie calls for comedy in order to balance the tone. Like, if these two actors were not able to deliver these lines funny, I don't think this movie would have worked. No. And that's why I, I can't tell if it's, like, like, conceptually, like, if it's a smart step or, like, a risky step to do it that way. Because, like, on one, ha on one hand you only really have to worry about casting two people and like hiring two people for that. And then mm -hmm. the director only has to worry about working with two people. But at the same time, that has to be two people that can carry an entire movie for two hours. And I don't, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if that makes it easier or harder to only have that many people like to focus on as a director. I guess it probably goes to show you're more like acting director. Like, I think it depends on the script. This movie, from what I could tell, didn't, really cater to improv i think all of the jokes all of the lines were completely written they had to be memorized they had to be said exactly so then the only factor you're really leaning on is do the two actors understand the joke yeah which is a bit of a lesser risk because if they don't you can just explain it to them and do a second cut yeah that's true i wonder if uh daniel radcliffe's britishness helps because i feel like this is like bordering on like dry british humor for like a little bit of it where and a lot of it i feel like comes from him where it's like if he had put even just like a slight bit too much emotion into some of the stuff he said it wouldn't work yeah like he finds the perfect the perfect medium between being like this like he almost is like a little kid yeah and some of his like talking and like his questioning where it's like but at the same time he's also a corpse <laughs> so the enthusiasm a child might have can has to be like dialed back a bit. Yep. <laughs> because he's, you know, literally dead.
And I, I couldn't tell if it was because Daniel Radcliffe has never been strong with accents. Uh, he's very British all the time. Yeah. Um, but his acting overshadows it. I don't know if he put on a bit of a voice for this. Um, so I think that kind of helped kind of stilt him because he had to be like conscious of doing the voice all the time. Yeah. To make it more believable because he, normally he is kind of, he can be a little bit eccentric when he wants to be. Um, but yeah, the, the voice helped kind of hold him back a little bit. And I think that was a bright choice. And then Paul Dano is just here to be sad and miserable and like yeah. fighting with himself the whole time. Yeah, I wonder, um, cause when they were talking about the, um, the, when the directors were at the Q&A for Everything Everywhere All at Once, they were talking about how Daniel Kwan was like kind of the one who came up with the idea for that movie. And yeah. I want to say the other Daniel, his last name's like Scheinhart. It's very, it's very German looking, okay. but uh, he's the white one. Oh, because <laughs> one of them, because I think Daniel Kwan's Chinese and like that's why yeah. their next movie is all about like Chinese immigrants. And obviously the other guy's some kind of white, but um, <laughs> me describing bread, it's some kind of white. Just eat it. <laughs> Just shut the fuck up and eat it. Uh, but I, I feel like this is like probably more his his take on like because they're they're both movies kind of talk about like similar things where it's like it's clearly trying to you know give you a movie but it's also tackling like the everyday like hopelessness people have of just going through life and just yeah. being like this is me I'm going through fucking life all the time. Yeah. But I feel like this is way more of like the homie with a bro like yeah like tailgating white this seems like way more white dude energy like in a good way yeah. usually when i say the term this is white energy it's not good but this is like this is like the good guy this yeah is the fun people these these are the fun whites these are the fun whites <laughs> <laughs> it's um it is very much that this is very much like <clears throat> oh uh like a white person struggle um where it's like who am i like what what have i become how repressed am i what does it mean to connect with a person because it's that's what i viewed watching this film is Paul Dano is a dude that has literally had no one that he felt was his person or somebody that he could confide yeah. in and feel and he only finds that through a literal dead body After which I don't he's been who the fuck knows what he's been doing yeah living in the woods stalking Mary Elizabeth Winstead which surprise surprise yeah. Mary oh my god I love how they just they just drop that photo of her yeah and then just don't because there was a I mean like I knew she was gonna be in the movie but you totally could have just done the whole movie and she was never gonna be in it yep and I was like that is ballsy I don't know why ballsy she does move. weird projects like this like 10 Cloverfield Lane doesn't seem like a movie she would be in or John Good well John Goodman will kind of do anything but like she yeah. shows up in that she was in the thing remake which seemed bizarre she's, like she's the main she's like the main character in that one too yeah and it doesn't she was seem something like Oh, yeah, she was just in Kate, the Netflix, where she's, like, a South Korean bounty hunter. Oh, really? She's not She's not South Korean, but she's, like, in Japan or, like, Tokyo or, like, some some neon grunge Asian city. I want to say it's South Korea. It's either, oh, no, it's Tokyo. It's Tokyo. Oh, definitely can't um. be North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> You've never been there? You don't know. You don't know. They might be fucking busting it down up there. You go to North Korea, it's just, like, Vegas, but all the time. <laughs> It's not how it is, but we will never know. That country we do know that they have pastel buildings. The ocean before we, we know, know that they have pastel buildings. They have pastel buildings? They have pastel buildings. They're like pink and yellow and like neon green. Why? 
fuck if I know. I've never been there. <laughs> I just know that we do. We were just going on about how little we know about North Korea. I don't know why the buildings are such, but I know that they are. And I don't even know that. I saw it in a YouTube video. <laughs> it could be fake. Yeah. Magazine. I don't trust magazines, so... <laughs> trust absolutely nothing ever. Speaking of not trusting things, uh, let's talk about how not trustworthy... Because this kind of... This, I, this movie is very much the unreliable narrator. Like, you're told this story by Paul Dano and then told a completely different story in, like, the last five minutes of this film. Yeah. It starts off, and he's even, like, an unreliable narrator to Daniel Radcliffe. So part of the way he wakes up Daniel Radcliffe in, like, becoming a human and, like, less of a zombie dead body that is by... That is, is That just farts and vomits water. Um, is by telling him that... The phone that he has, which is really Paul Dano's phone, is actually Daniel Radcliffe's phone. And the photo that is the background of the screen must be his girlfriend. And he has to remember who she is and get back to her. But you find out later, well, you you know immediately <clears throat> you that it is Paul Dano's phone. But you're kind of unsure why he does have this photo. Um, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, oh, maybe this is a long lost love that he had. And he's just so miserable. Um, no, this is literally a woman he's stalked on a bus for, like, months. (laughs) And, like, taking photos of her. He found out her name. He's, like, friended her on Facebook. Like, they have never interacted with each other, ever. But he relives, like, her life in the woods with Daniel Radcliffe, a dead body that he found. How fucked is that? (laughs) How fucked is that? I feel like it's it's kind of like the same situation that you get in Requiem, where it's like, I, like what? well, well, it's like, um, because like they talk about that whole thing where it's like, you know, the crazy lady on the subway, but oh. like now you know the story leading up to why she's the crazy lady on the subway. We don't yeah. know the story leading up to why Paul Dano's the crazy man on the bus, but like we know that like this is the way, this is the inner workings of the crazy man on the bus. Like, this is what the inside of his mind looks like, and it is a bunch of fabric in the woods. <laughs> Which is, to me, way less sympathetic than a poor woman just wanting to lose weight so she can look good on television with Shooter McGavin. Yeah. And then, the, the, then this, where it's just like, this dude, just his dad wasn't very close to him, and his mom died young, and also he never masturbates. So he's miserable. Which, also, oh, sorry. Well, I was yeah. just going to give a PSA for everybody to masturbate more. It does wonders. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paige. <laughs> now back to the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but have you noticed there's like, I feel like, I wonder if people just don't know how to like write characters with functioning families. I just feel like everybody in movies has a dead parent. And, and, Someone. They all have at least, like, one dead or estranged parent. Which, I mean, I have an estranged parent. (laughs) So, I mean, I can't really... It's accurate. Most of us do. But... Maybe it's just easier so they don't have to flush out another character. It saves runtime. That, that's what I was saying. That's what I was thinking. Where it was like, I was like, well, if you think about it, it's another person you gotta cast. It's another relationship you have to put in the main character's head. And if they have a healthy family, well, then that doesn't make sense. Yeah. They have both parents and they're still somehow fucked up. <laughs> No one cares. Yeah, nobody gives a shit about that. 
it's more the world um so there's actually a quote from this movie that i think pertains to you or pertains to what you're saying let me find it here i wrote down quotes hold on um the quote is well maybe everyone uh everyone's a little bit ugly <laughs> so I think, thanks <laughs> i think if we take ugly less to a superficial sense i think basically what that quote means is everybody is fucked up and can relate more to fuck because that's what you remember more is the trauma it doesn't matter if you have had a perfect life if you lost the spelling bee in fourth grade and like lived the rest of your life completely perfect you are still only thinking about the time you were embarrassed in front of your entire school because you lost the spelling bee because you misspelled the word tornado (laughs) it's a d not a t you stupid bitch He gets slapped off stage like Will Smith. <laughs> Tornado. <laughs> Tornado. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I think that it's like, it, it's it's one of those like weird situations where it, it starts to make you feel like the warm like family, like I want, I want to see this closure. But it's, like, just such a weird situation. Yeah. And I remember, like, that was initially, like, why I never, like, put this on my list of movies. Like, why I didn't go see it in theaters. Because I was like, this just looks, like, it's a step too weird for me. There's yeah. just, like, one too many fart jokes. And it's like, I'm like, I know it's going to be, like, a good wrap-up of a movie. But I was like, I just think it's going to be too weird for me to, like, get through the whole thing. I think this movie isn't weird enough i want whenever i rewatch this movie i want it to get more bonkers and crazy but i think they were limited with like budget and time yeah well i also like they i I assume most of their shit's all practical effects too so yeah so i read Um, in the trivia that they had a a, uh like corpse body thing for daniel radcliffe but he he was like nah nah. (laughs) he's like i'm doing everything i'm a tiny man throw me around yeah, It'll be poor easy. VFX artist who had to like edit out all of his blinks and his fucking chest breathing was probably like, no, just, just use the goddamn dummy, please. <laughs> <laughs> dummy doesn't twitch. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe has dyspraxia too, so like his muscles like don't, the signals don't send correctly to his brain. Oh my brain. gosh, so he was literally just trying to make everybody's life a living hell in post. That's I'm all right. Sure I'm sure he's had physical therapy and stuff for it, but yeah, he's his like muscle (laughs) stuff doesn't work correctly. (laughs) Poor dude. Poor guy. So this was actually like more of like a PSA on his like debilitating condition. (laughs) He's he's a real Swiss Army man. He those are just all of his little little ticks that he does. It's not to rest. (laughs) (laughs) It is now. (laughs) I've decided. Uh, can we talk about the the hinted thing? So I touched on this in the intro, but like, do you think it's implied that Paul Dano was fondling that and like in a in a relationship with that dead body? I think I think they were planting the seeds for it. And I'm putting this I'm putting this out there because I feel like this is this is a very effective storytelling technique and like a thing to do, but I also think you're way more likely to make the crowd feel icky about it. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like the dad and the chicken titan. It's like you're uh, building this genuine connection between two people, which is so great. But yeah. like, 
they don't know like they don't know how to process the feelings because you're dealing with two damaged individuals. We as the audience don't really know how to deal with it because our we're constantly like living in this like strange universe that we're not used to and we're like anticipating the ending. So yeah. I think and I think that our like primal animal brains are just like trying to fit it together as like romantic because that's all it makes sense. It's like, oh, it's not my family. Yeah. So it must be a partner. Where I feel like here, here they like visually give it to you as well. Thank so you. it muddies the water even more where it's like, wait a second. I mean, because we're rooting for them, right? We love that they're buddies. We're, yeah. we're really rooting for them. And they're then my just... favorite couple. <laughs> but then there's also that part of being like, well, he is stalking a stranger on the bus and this is a dead body and they are living in the woods. There's a lot of this stuff that like isn't romantic. Yep. <laughs> But you're so invested in the dialogue and the camaraderie the two people share that you're just like, we'll just forget it. For the next hour and a half, we'll forget everything. Well, you can't because that that's like how Manny gets his power is by Paul Dano dressing in drag. <laughs> so in order in order for Daniel Radcliffe to become more of a human, he has to remember this lie that he's been told by Paul Dano that he has a girlfriend. So Paul Dano dresses- it motivates him. It motivates him to get back home. And there's like this little like ongoing joke that like love is what's resurrecting him. Yeah. And love is what makes everything like tolerable. And like, it's, it's a very big, like, yeah. Having a connection is what fuels life kind of deal. But he, Paul Dano dresses up as a woman uh, with like, where did he get his, that wig? There is an actual <laughs> wig. I know it's supposed to look like yarn, but there is actual hair. Underneath, <laughs> it is a it is a wig. Where did you get a wig in the woods? I just feel like the island Paul Dano was on was just like a broken fire hydrant on Sepulveda Boulevard. <laughs> I would like the like reality cut of what is <laughs> what it actually is. You just hear a woof and it like matrixes you, and he's just like sitting on a park bench. <laughs> In like downtown Hollywood or something. It's like that cut in Requiem where she thinks the TV is like a lot or the fridge is alive and trying to eat her, and that's all we see. And then it's like a static cut to like just her apartment, like just empty and bare. <laughs> the TV's not even on. Yeah. <laughs> I want, I want that cut for this movie because I'd be very curious to see like. If that was even fleshed out, which I don't think it was. From what you've told me briefly about these directors, they just run with an idea. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the times. I mean, because filmmaking is just so much problem solving. Yeah. Like, if you if you actually get to shoot your script, <laughs> like, that's the bare... If, if you can get to the point where you actually get to shoot your script, that is impressive. That yeah. that, that alone usually doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're you're usually making cuts on set being like, well, we don't have time for any of these. <laughs> so we're just gonna have to make it work. Yep. And this oh. this this works. Do you think there were a lot of this feels like a full script? I don't feel like there were any cuts. I feel like because of how this this to me is like honestly interesting with the context, like the polar opposite type of a first draft movie that District Nine is. Oh yeah. Where it was like, where this is very like emotionally deep and it's a lot more cohesive because it focuses more on that. But it's like setting wise, it's all very the same. 
Yeah. Like, you're only focused on the characters. You don't have to do any costume changes. Like, everything everything there is just given to you how it is. We're like, District 9, it's the exact opposite. Like, it works because there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of fucking shit going on. And it's relatively ambitious, like, visually. Yeah. Um, this, I feel like, because... Yeah, I feel like they... This was just very, like, well thought out before it came to the to the shooting like i feel like they knew what they wanted they knew what they how they wanted to cut it they knew the pace that they wanted to go for and then they just went out and shot with it and i think that especially when you have people like daniel radcliffe and paul dano who i don't know them personally but i feel like with their roles and like various interviews i've seen of them i feel you can kind of gauge how they would act on a set so i feel like they kind of worked perfectly into that tone already so I feel like you can just kind of go out and shoot the shit. This was one of those lightning in a bottle moments where like everything fit perfectly. They got their chance. They were able to execute it well. Uh, and definitely having a strong vision before going in. Cause this is very clearly, like you said, they had everything planned out. They knew exactly how this movie wanted to look and feel when you were watching it. Cause like every shot and every cut and every, there's lots of slow-mos and speed ups that happen. It all feels like it was completely planned in the yeah. script how they want it to be. Because this movie, visually, uh, which I do want to talk to you about, what did you think of the editing and, like, the cinematography on this movie? Okay, so this is the part, um, this is the only thing that I, like, have, I, I would have liked for you to see the other one before I compared it. Because I'm coming from this after seeing everything, everywhere, all at once. And that basically, like, takes that this style of, like, editing and cinematography, but applies it to the multiverse. <laughs> and applies it to like fight scenes and does that instead so that's why we're i keep coming back to this being their first film it's so clear like what their style is and like how that how they know they want to implement it we're like i really really liked it here and i liked even more that i got to see them use it in a different way and it's in my opinion i like it better because that to me is more interesting um but in I, this I one really, or in everything everywhere all at once everything everywhere all at once yeah um, well because Fight choreography. Yeah, everything more, more entertaining. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's just like I said, it's just a genre for me that I find more appealing, and yeah. I think that with those like snappy, quick zooms and stuff like that, I feel like that works just better in a faster-paced movie and less of like, because it's kind of like an art house movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I really liked it. I like that it, um, the uh, the way they shoot their little like wood cave area. I like the way that they, they make it look like romantic and deep yeah. and nice. And then there's also like these strange surreal shots, like yeah. towards the end, especially of just like Daniel Radcliffe, like sitting in an empty, like in like a black room or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's also just like stock footage of like eggs and <laughs> fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the eggs, but I do think of uh, the, fir- the, the first time Daniel Radcliffe is able to make fire. Like, he snaps his finger, his hand, and you see a spark. But then the next one is, like, a very cool pull out of the hands and it snaps together. And it's, like, the perfect timed edit of the slowdown. Yeah. When his hand clamps together and the fire goes up. And it's, like, very slowed down of Paul Dano just being amazed and wondered at, at yeah. his fuckable dead body. I also like the... um the non-chronological like montages they would do where he was like where he was like imagining what him he was he would be able to do with Manny's new power but then like while he's imagining it you see like the the quick time lapse of them actually doing it yeah which i i like that as a technique and i feel like in this movie i don't know why i liked it more because i feel like i've definitely seen people do that before but like it's usually in like a drama or like an action where it's like you expect them to do like the weird jumping back and forth but something like this it's like wait a second 
this doesn't belong here, but yeah. I like it. Is this man versus wild? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> but it works. It works so much, so much better. I want to talk about the score. Because this whole score is acapella and then yeah. like diegetic, but not diegetic. <laughs> it is a whole separate genre of film scoring. There's a point where the the composer is singing. It's all acapella. He does all the singing. And he wrote lyrics. And he's singing pop popcorn, pop popcorn, pop popcorn. But then you see Daniel Radcliffe mouthing pop popcorn. So I need to know, did they have the composer on set scoring the film as they were shooting? Oh, I'm sure they had the score in the works way before they started shooting. Because the composer is the cameraman at the end, the dude with the beard that yeah. looks like he belongs yeah. in a, um, like, Sasquatch soap commercial. What is that called? Dr. Squatch. Dr. Squatch. We work for them. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Can you send me soap? Uh, sure. Do you want, uh, sage? Yeah. I forgot I what, the other, what the other, other scents are. It's like sage and forest balsam. Sense. Manly sense. Is it good soap? I don't. F I'm not a man. That doesn't matter. Gender's a myth. I use my Bath and Body Works graphite. Thank you very much. <laughs> just like just straight up. Yeah, I was gonna say Bath and Body Works is just straight up alcohol in a bottle and like shuck around with like some body beads. <laughs> Those get stuck in my eye, by the way. Bath and Body Works. I would not <laughs> not use that on your face. It says scrub. Don't. Do not. It's hard to get out. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like for acapella and for the way that they use it with the dialogue in the in the movie, because mm -hmm. um, like the first time you hear it is at the very beginning where Paul Dano's like singing to himself, and then like you kind of hear the the music come in of like his his words, and then he like like audibly says something on screen, and then that becomes yeah. part of like the loop too. Uh, so I want to say like for something like that. I, I could totally be wrong. I'm just taking a guess. But it feels like that's something that they would have thought of before they shot. Yeah. Like, they would have been like, this is what we want to do. And, like, these are the, the lines and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the composer would have already known. Yeah. But also, he was clearly on set a couple days, so. I mean, he might as well have been there the whole time. It was, like, what, three weeks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck, 22 days. Just hang out. Just take a vacation. In Half Moon Bay. Why not? Why yeah. the fuck not? It's, um, and the score, I think, lends itself. So you've seen Nightcrawler, right? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, of course. It's our boy. Yeah. Uh, but if you read the trivia on Nightcrawler, one thing that always stood out to me was the score is very bizarre for Nightcrawler. It's very weird. What? Uh, Something's weird about Nightcrawler? Yeah, I know, right? It's <laughs> a normal movie. <laughs> but, but I finally read the trivia on it on, like, my fourth rewatch of Nightcrawler. And the trivia is that the composer composed the score for what what's Jake Gyllenhaal's character's name? Oh, it's been years since I've seen that movie. Like something Bloom. Or oh Blo yeah, Nick is it Nickel Nicholas Bloom? No. Something whatever. Jake Gyllenhaal's character in that movie, the score that you hear throughout the movie is what Jake Gyllenhaal's character imagines is playing while he's going around his life. And I feel like that's the same case here. This is this is what Paul Dano is hearing as in his head, and that's why he's singing part of the score and why he 
quote-unquote imagines Daniel Radcliffe is also singing it and why we hear the same like I'm crazy that makes sense also like when's the last time he's like sat down and listened to music yeah like he's not so yeah so he's just imagining this whole sequence of events of him running away from his family and living in the woods having this score and this pop popcorn (laughs) and Cotton Eye Joe Cotton Eye Joe those be- at first, when I first heard it, I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> they like remix it, so they start singing Daniel Radcliffe. I I threw my mouth on Daniel Radcliffe. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I um started eating ice and then started talking, which is always a great combo. Uh, there's a point where Daniel Radcliffe is singing like Cotton Eye Joe, but then he like remixes it mid song. Like, he makes Cotton Eye Joe about something completely different. Like, a long-lost love. Yeah. It's so <laughs> weird. I think it's beautiful. It is. This movie is beautiful. When my, I, that was my, my, my biggest thing for me as far as, like, hiccups in watching the movie. I wasn't sure when I was supposed to laugh. And oh. if it was supposed to, like, there were just times where I was, like... I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be funny. <laughs> oh, like when? Like, like, well, there were, there was a few times where, like, some of the... There were just, like, a couple times where, like, there were too many jokes. And I was like, is wait, is this supposed to be funny? Or am I supposed to be, like, weirded out by this? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, a good example of one of them. Um, oh, yeah, I guess the, the whole, like... No, I guess because you're supposed to laugh at that, where he's telling Hank his own story about masturbating. Like, while Hank is Sarah. There there are a lot of the times when Hank is Sarah, I'm like, I think this is supposed to be funny, but it's like... It's so wholesome. Yeah, it's so wholesome, and then it's also like, if you dig deeper, it's uh, it's buried underneath some very broken, traumatic shit, probably, so it's like... It's like it's like that box under someone's bed that you know there's porn in there, so you're not gonna get near it. It's one of those. You're like, I know it's there, and I'm aware of it at all times. I'm not going to touch it to confirm, but I'm sure that it's it's there. <laughs> and that created it, the backstory of this box. Yeah, and I'm sure that it's not something I could find easily on the internet. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Just a whole collection of snuff films. <laughs> but. Uh, with, with this movie, it's, I, I laughed at pretty much anything. It's very obvious when Daniel Radcliffe is doing comedy or a drama, and I assume if he's doing comedy, I am supposed to laugh whenever I want. It doesn't matter. Oh. Yeah, it just wasn't like, I think I was expecting it to be more of like a funny haha movie. Oh. Where it was more of like a, ah, it was more of like a quirky, like, oh, haha. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't know how to masturbate. <laughs> But then, like, it, but then it was paired with like farts and a mechanical dick. So that's oh yeah, I, can we talk about when he first gets his erection and there's just mutual screaming? Yes. <laughs> a dead body gets an erection, everybody screams. To be fair, it's not like a normal erection. That thing is like going buck wild. That's I, like I want it. Yeah, that's like when you like take one of those like wild stallions and you try to break it for the first time that's what it was doing it was like jumping around and like freaking out in his pants i want to start my own collection of like the genitalia animatronics used in movies when they go out for auction so i want the chest piece on lily james and pa- pam and tommy oh I- you don't want you don't want the animatronic dick 
Oh, I do. That's the other one on the list. You didn't let me finish my oh, list. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was expecting that to be first because everybody's so obsessed with the animatronic dick that's in that show for two fucking minutes. Well, yeah, of course I want that, but I want the chess piece first because I can mount that to the wall. I want That'd it. That'd be sick. I want it mounted, and that that chess piece is seamless. Like I, bet I want that on my back. <laughs> <laughs> my tits on the front are pretty okay, but tits on the back like that. Can I replace my ass with it? Like, I have tits here, and then I turn around and I also have ass tits. Could you imagine if you got hard ass nipples? <laughs> like the chafing. Paige, why aren't you sitting down? I can't. It's cold here. It's cold, sorry. I'd have, I'd have like, one of those, like, uneven cold. Like, my top boobs are fine. My bottom boobs are freezing. I'm gonna have to do a handstand to, like, even them out. <laughs> Sorry, Does anybody have a car with heated seats that I can sit in for a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> so I want, I want the, the chess piece on Lily James. I want the animatronic dick. And then I want the, like, joystick. I know they didn't fully model a penis. Because you never see it. It's you just a thing yeah. that yeah. moves around in pants. I don't it's, care. I want it. Yeah, it's probably just like a fucking toilet paper tube with like a bouncy ball taped on the top of it. Yeah, I want Something it. Like, some shit like that. So when people ask, what is that? I go, oh, that was Daniel Radcliffe's dick in Swiss Army Man. <laughs> and then it's a conversation piece. And then they go, why do you have this? I'm like, not for the reasons you think. Did I do kind of wish the dick had more of a payoff. Does it do anything? It points them home. Oh, that's right. That's it's right. It's the most I useful it's the penis compass. ever. I'm sorry, but they seem like they're lost in the same spot for the whole movie. Because Paul Dano's I know, I know, I know. So it doesn't really serve a purpose. Well, it does in Paul Dano's mind. Yeah. Because maybe that's, that's why that's he can't I'm, masturbate. That's what I'm saying. I think I would have, I would have liked the payoff. Payoff to have been. Them fucking? No, no, absolutely not. I was hoping like maybe the dick like breaks off and runs away and they follow it. Like leaves little dick breadcrumbs. I don't know. Oh my god, like it's fucking alien and it's a face hugger. <laughs> He's like a gecko you hear that Hollywood? Off. If you're gonna have a penis in your film, Sasha wants payoff. <laughs> I want payoff. I'm just saying, there are too many now not too many, but I feel like there aren't enough animatronic body parts with a good payoff. True. Can we get some animatronic nipples? I would like to see some nipples that spin around. That would be fucking nuts. There's always penises that are just doing their own thing, but I want they gotta some nips. do that. They gotta do the third Tomb Raider movie, and she has to fight a chick this time, and the chick needs to have crazy animatronic nipples that shoot lasers. Okay, so no part of that is canon to anything Lara Croft stands for, but I can see it in a Black Widow movie now. Okay, yeah, I'd be down for that. That'll right, work. I, I'll take, I'll take, leave, Lara's had her... Let her die. Just let her die. I just thought she never fights a girl. <laughs> so imagine the one chick Laura Croft does fight as animatronic nipples <laughs> and butt boobs. <laughs> uh, we just made the greatest monstrosity. I'm going to be butt boobs for Christmas, for Halloween, for Christmas, for both. <laughs> I want butt boobs. I, I feel like it'd be great. Oh. <sighs> How would you fashion a bra for that? You wouldn't. You'd let those things go all natural. You don't think it'd be like suspenders? Because they don't <laughs> look all the way up here. <laughs> I 
I have to get like a pulley bra where they could like balance each other. <laughs> so it's like, oh, if I adjust it this way, I can let my butt sag a little to show my back cleavage. But then... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you have oh, options. Yeah, I've got back cleavage now. It's not Depen crack. It's not so a like... crack anymore. It's back cleavage. It's sexy. Depending on the dress you're wearing. <laughs> If you got one of those long backs and dia dresses on, you like let it sag, go a little bit longer. But if you're like doing like some yoga pants situation, you hoisting those straps. You lift that shit up. up. That shit starts at your armpits. <laughs> we're we're so good at podcasting. <laughs> we just gave everybody ten beauty hacks that changed our 2022. Go. No, that's the type of shit that's really trending. You're fucking welcome. <laughs> Everybody's gonna have butt boobs now. <laughs> All five people that listen to us are gonna be having butt boobs. Look, if you're listening to this, you need to make just just make yourself an open advocate for butt boobs. That's all we ask. I agree. I butt feel like it would be way more logical and beneficial if you had boobs on your butt. You're not saying that instead of your chest, though, right? No, I am. I don't want to have oh. a chest. Oh, I like I like like I like having both. You, okay, so I can do with both, but I think if you have them on your butt, like, everything's contained into the same area, then. Like, you don't oh, gotta yeah. move around, everything's right there, there's no awkward reaching. What? I'm a genius, right? Everything's right I... there, there's no awkward. You're talking I like you're, like, gone. trying to, like, find a way to, like, eat your popcorn and drink your soda at the same time. <laughs> I also do not know what the biological advantage of having boobs on your butt instead of your chest would be. As far as I'm concerned, they serve no purpose either way. So think about it. When if, when you have kids and you have to breastfeed your child, you just, like, do a squat. Okay. Instead, you gotta, like, whip things out. You so, have to okay. hold the child, which is exhausting. <laughs> squats are way easier. If I have kids, squats. I'm not feeding them. <laughs> I've seen how you do squats. <laughs> I pulled my bladder muscles because I was doing squats incorrectly for like three weeks. It hurt when I peed. Uh, you're gonna be the Swiss Army man. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I that's how I met you at Bed Bath and Beyond. If anyone's wondering, a great a great way a great movie <laughs> that can kind of metaphorically sum up Paige and be first meeting each other. <laughs> It's the opening scene of this movie of me, Paul Dano, hanging myself <laughs> and being like, what is this vampire looking thing that just washed up at customer service? Oh, good, a conversation. Thank fucking God. <laughs> I'm a monster that farts all the time. <laughs> Sasha, can you watch customer service? I gotta go poop. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm scheduled for a ten-hour shift. There's gonna be at least twice, and I'm gonna have to poop on the clock. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Anyway, going back to Swiss Army Man. This is officially our miscellaneous episode. We're talking about. Well, there's just to be fair, it's our Swiss Army episode. Oh man, yeah. we're covering everything today, guys. You want to know what I had for breakfast? Yeah, what you have? I had eggs and and um potatoes. Actually, it was pretty good. But oh. I also ate it. I say breakfast, but my first meal was at three thirty. Yeah, I, d I don't eat until noon. 
goes like a brinner. I have a cup of tea, and then I just sit there and be miserable, and then I eat at noon, and then I'm only slightly less miserable. I wrote down some quotes for this movie. Would you like to hear them? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what? Yeah, totes bro, lay them on me. This sounds good. <laughs> um, you're broken and empty and dirty and smelly and useless and old. You're like trash, trash. right? I'm trash. I'm like trash. No. Uh, before the internet, every girl was a little, a lot more special. Yeah. <laughs> Which facts. Which is also very telling of the kind of character Paul Dano probably was when yeah. he had access to the internet. He seems like he'd be a nice boyfriend if he wasn't a necrophiliac. He'd be caring. He would Who lets you look- live alone? You need to have anyone that you're gonna date <laughs> do like a, a background check before you talk to them. I, he'd be a great boyfriend if he weren't a necrophiliac. Really, there's nothing else. I feel like there are other there are other red flags. In a necrophiliac that you'll you'll hit before you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't I, date him. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, as you, your quotes. Anybody that I date, I'll just have them Skype call you. <laughs> you can interview them. <laughs> um, I already said this one, but gets erection, mutual screaming. Mutual screaming. I love that one. Uh, Manny, I think your penis is guiding us home. Uh. Girls must be so nice if they let guys do all those things to them. <laughs> um, remember when you put that cork in my butt? Did that count as sex? <laughs> Manny, no. <laughs> um, Hank, when I masturbate, I'm gonna think about your mom. <laughs> um, this one... Is only funny because Paul Dano actually has A plus comedic delivery and that I didn't expect from Paul Dano. I can't even replicate it, but just bear with me. Um, can I just go back to being dead? Yes, you should die in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so nonchalant. Yeah. Um, the last two are kind of wholesome, but I'm scared if I die, I might really miss you, which is going to be my party words to whoever happens to be next to me. <laughs> It'll be like the hospice nurse, and I'll be like, I'm scared if I die, I'll really miss you. I don't know you. She's like, I just met you five minutes ago. <laughs> I'm here to change your catheter, but okay. <laughs> um, and then the last one, which I already said, which is, well, maybe everyone's a little bit ugly. <laughs> they are. They yeah. are. I did like how um, Paul Dano, and it was a quote, that Paul Dano was literally incapable of growing a beard. So yeah, it was never even a question whether or not it was going to be a fake. <laughs> and I did not try. No. You ever see that America's Next Top Model episode where they put a, a beard weave on a dude? No. So they, they, they mixed genders on America's Next Top Model at one point, and they had men, and they wanted... The, okay, they, they had, he was a black guy. And they put a white beard weave on him. So, like, the hair is straight. It's just straight, like, it's almost Asian hair. (laughs) And it's, like, you can see the lace on it. And it's, like, glued onto him for the entire season. And there's, like, points where it's, like, peeling and, like, terrible. That's that's what this beard weave was. It was a beard weave. A beard weave. I can't stop thinking about butt boobs. Butt boobs. (laughs) I need a comic strip. 
of like a superhero boobs. of a superhero char- character that's butt boobs. What would like superpower be? I don't know. I didn't think that far ahead. I was just thinking like Captain Underpants style. Oh, okay. Like that's how it's but drawn. But it says you just empowers women who want to breastfeed in public. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, are you embarrassed to chest feed your child? Well, you could have ass tits. <laughs> you could have <laughs> ass tits. Pick your battles. <laughs> Do you want to moon people in public or flash them in public? Or both simultaneously. <laughs> if you have twins, you're set up for life. You can do it with butt boobs. Or quadruplets. I mean, one on each tit, one on the back, two on the back. I'm just saying, call 1-800-8008 <laughs> for your newest order of butt boobs. Two low prices of $69.99. Plus shipping and handling. Can we talk about Daniel Radcliffe showing his own hairy ass? That... That was a gross shot, too. I'm gonna be honest. No, I'm sorry. And it was full of, like, clean water. I don't know why. I I, I never want to see Daniel Radcliffe's ass ever again. Just dark hair? Yeah, and it was, like, in the crack. Why would you not shave that? Thank you. A makeup lady should have been like, let me look at your ass. Okay, nope, someone get a Bic. We're gonna (laughs) shave that real quick. Yeah, the key is to to draw it on really harshly and then smear it a little bit and wipe part of it off. And then it looks like five o'clock shadow because the skin's just gray now. It is so dark. <laughs> they would need some fucking Lancome foundation. It to reminds make... me of the, the fucking the, the ink when she goes, Fa Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> the Fa Mulan lady. Fa is, Mulan. She is the, the best part of Mulan. The matchmaker. Mushu is the best part of Mulan. Yeah. She's a they, close second. She is a close second. Honestly, if she was the sidekick for the rest of the movie, though, yeah. I, I feel like we would have a better movie. If, if she were Mulan, <laughs> her and Mushu, she fakes being a guy. Go- God damn it. We need to write more movies. <laughs> so many good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if we're gonna keep remaking and rebooting shit, we should. But then just like do some weird swap thing with it. Like this movie, just make it an alien. Do this movie again, but see what happens if you do it with an alien. Uh, yeah, that's actually great. Right? Fuck it. It's the, it'll be easy to do, and it's I'll go see it. Mulan, do it with the matchmaker instead. I'll go see that too. Can we keep the same cast of Paul Daniel as Daniel Radcliffe? But I feel like Paul Dano needs to be the alien. I don't think Daniel Radcliffe can do a believable alien. No, I definitely not. So, Paul, he fits the... I mean, he's basically an alien in Prisoners. <laughs> that fucking swollen ass eye. <laughs> you can't tell me that if you took his exact acting style and put it in a sci-fi film, you'd be like, oh, yes, this is better than Keanu Reeves' yeah. performance in The Day the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> this is beautiful. So good. So good. Art. <laughs> oh. Do we want to do our rating? Or do we want to oh, keep yeah. talking? Okay, well, yeah, yeah. I, I do, I do want to say I know that it's all like you know the prison and the the maze of Paul Dano's mind. But the yeah. fact, the fact that they spend the whole movie trying to get to civilization and then go to that chick's house <laughs> and then he turns around <laughs> with Daniel Radcliffe and just runs straight back to the ocean, which was like apparently like a quarter mile away, because <laughs> he just runs there with his clearly broken leg. 
<laughs> carrying a wolf. dead body and just back at the coast. Oh, we need to talk. There's a lot of really good slaps in this movie where he just slaps shit. He slaps a bear, which is oh, a real yeah. bear. He slaps a bear like it's a child stealing candy, like just right on the <laughs> face. And I'm like, you're going to die. Did you read the uh, the I It worked for marshmallows and ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> that had a that real, to be my life. They had a real bear on set, and that's how they paid the bears with marshmallows and ice cream sandwiches. That bear has diabetes now. I like how they were saying that they paid the bear. Like, the bear is the one who gains the actual yeah, profits of his own He has support. a mortgage. Okay. <laughs> they just raised the six screen, 16 ice cream sandwiches a month. I can't do it. My kids are starving. <laughs> they have nothing to keep their teeth cold. <laughs> we can't. There's no oh, idea you have the, this bear wearing just one of those clip-on ties in the casting couch. <laughs> and there's like other bears outside and they all want real money. But this bear's like, I'll do it for food. I'll do it for food, please. Yeah, you see Andy's dad? Yeah, he's a Hollywood bear. I hear he works for ice cream. What a fucking fat ass. <laughs> this is our best episode. <laughs> We've never done anything better before this. We should rent a bear for an episode. Oh! That would be can, cool. Can we... Can I do it? I want to yeah. see how him and Gary interact. I was about to say, I yeah, you would have to. Honestly, I don't think it would eat him. <laughs> I think Gary would eat the bear. Yeah, I think I think there would be some fuck shit, but I don't think it'd be coming from the bear. <laughs> <laughs> I do also, uh, speaking of the bear and Swiss Army Man, I do like the little tidbit that Daniel Radcliffe, that Manny can't, uh, change like he can't control the pitch of his voice. Oh, which <laughs> me, me, <laughs> yeah. I feel that with my soul. <laughs> That's me when I hit that point of excitement where it's like I'm shouting, but I don't realize that I'm shouting. <laughs> you always have that one asshole that's like, "Why are you yelling?" And it's like, bro, obviously I don't know. Yeah, clearly. don't know that I'm yelling. <laughs> At some point, you're like drowning out my ears, and I can't hear myself. <laughs> you approach me like a person, you fucking asshole. Uh, there's also there's also a point where, so this is the real. Th so one moment that I questioned whether or not to laugh. There's a moment where they they wind up on Mary Elizabeth Winstead's house, and she has a kid, and Manny is like alive to the kid. And he's explaining that, you know, he has superpowers that he can do all these things. And he starts to demonstrate the powers like he he throws up farts. water. <laughs> he throws up water. And then he takes a moment and gets an erection in front of a child. <laughs> and Paul Dano slaps his the, dick. The slap. The dick slap. <laughs> And the child starts crying, and Dana Radcliffe is like, she thinks I'm scary, and I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh because you're committing, like, sexual molestation or exposure to a child. Yeah. <laughs> but the slap saves it. And I know that child is not on set. Like, they cut to her. Yeah, yeah. She's, like, not there. <laughs> but no, she's the producer's kid. She's like, oh, this is my third animatronic dick I've had to see in today. It's fine. <laughs> I also work for ice cream sandwiches in Marcel's. <laughs> 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 
said they can't make the trauma go away, but they can make the hunger go away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's also eating ice cream sandwich. I also just feel like, why did they cast Mary Elizabeth Winstead? What? She was available. Okay. Uh, that must have been what it was it. She... I feel like, honestly, I don't know. What do you think? I feel like it. I feel like as soon as I saw her picture on the phone, there was kind of a disconnect for me. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I've seen Mary Elizabeth Winstead too many times in stuff. She's very distinct. It's like, I didn't know I was watching Scott Pilgrim. I was about to say, and it doesn't help that she's in Scott Pilgrim, which is like one of the most caricatured movies of yeah. all time. And she's like one of the main characters. <laughs> With the blandest personality shock. <laughs> that whole movie. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Well, there was, the, there was the one time where he was wearing the red wig, and I'm like, he's just Ramona Flowers now. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, bold move. But I, I, I don't know if I would have picked some... I, I feel like I would not have picked somebody as recognizable. Because, like, I feel yeah. like there are very few women who would circulate in this, like, indie film world who would this... sign on for this role. And she's one of the few people that I'm like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. This would have been a good Juno Tempo role. Which Juno Tempo is the actress that will never be a leading woman. She never will be. Who is that? Sorry. So Juno Tempo, have you seen Horns? No, with Daniel Radcliffe? <laughs> yeah. Um, you've seen her. There's no way you've gone your career without seeing... That's that's what I'm talking about. This is why she is but such yeah. a... Is she a character actress? No. She's just... She, Unrecognizable. She, she's unrecognizable, but also the most recognizable person on the planet. She walks ah. that line. Have you seen her? Once I'm I'm googling it because I keep telling you. Sorry, be quicker. I'm sorry, my phone was behind me. Juno, what? Juno Temple. Yeah, the first person. Juno Temple. Oh yeah. Yep. She's <laughs> always there, but also not there at the same time. This would have been a perfect role for her. Yeah, she looks way too much like too many people. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think so. But I, maybe she was busy doing whatever other five side characters she had to do that <laughs> week. Because good God, is she a side character and everything that will never get cast as the lead. Damn. I don't know, sometimes side characters make it, though. So I, when I was like a teenager, well, I was like, if I really run out of money and just need something to do, I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to be an extra in every film I can until somebody notices. Like, there's always just me in the background. Oh, yeah. And then, they start piecing it together. Like, who is this person? Did you? There's a guy that they. That's actually like a thing. Oh, there's someone's a, already done this. Yeah, he's a homeless. Of course, he's a homeless man in New York. He's called Radio Man, but he's been living on the streets of New York for like thirty or forty years, and he's got like a fuckload of credits. And like people, people in Hollywood who like go and shoot in New York, like find him and like hit him up and like get lunch with him and stuff. And he's still just like some crazy guy who just walks around with a radio. And he's been in the background of like so many movies. Yeah, and I think I think now he even has like an IMDb credit as just like Radio Man <laughs> in like the back of just ra random movies too. Because so I think he's like in The Dark Knight, and then he's in like some rom com, and then like basically anything that just gets shot in New York, he's usually just walking around in. All my original ideas have always already been done, and they're always been done by homeless people. Homeless except people always... butt boobs. Except butt boobs. Watch, I'm gonna walk outside. There's gonna be like a homeless chick, like pushing <laughs> a cart me. down Burbank with with a giant rack on her ass and on her boobs. I'm just like, but where did you get those butt boobs? And she's like, they're actually called busty breasts, but. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm gonna buy a chess piece because you can like buy chess pieces. Drag queens use them all the time. I'm buying them. I'm gonna. That's I'm gonna where make. Their boobs go. What? That's where their boobs go. Yeah, it's like clips on or they glue it. It's all kinds of things. I but I'm gonna tend to like, like inflate them. Well, yeah, you can stuff. I don't know. I'm not a drag queen. I wish. Do you, for the the butt boobs though, circling back to this brilliant idea. Some people have like asses. Do you have to like cavern out the butt boobs so the ass cheek can fit in there snugly? Because if you have enough of a Brazilian booty, it like gravity can just hold the butt boobs. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a mixture of like a butt lift and then just like letting the natural gluteus maximus do its thing. Okay. So well, I would recommend, I feel like butt boobs is recommended in like your 20s. So that way, like you can spend yeah, the rest you of your time getting hits. it ready. Yeah. Could we just do like fake nipples and put them on each ass cheek? Or can do I... we want some like, some juggling? <laughs> I was going to say something, but I will immediately have to cut it. <laughs> but... I'll say it now so you know when to cut so I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait, with the butt boobs, we could have, like, specialty ones that, like, you could put high C in, and then they lactate out high C. So and then you only have the like, butt boobs, but they're also a Coca-Cola freestyle machine, too. Yes! <laughs> this one's cherry, and this one's vanilla. And you can mix them to get cherry vanilla. <laughs> Each tin is a different thing. And you can easily fish in a hose to, like, a keg. <laughs> And I they feel like just... if it's a hose, you're saying a hose from my butt to a keg. That is essentially a beer catheter. Oh, <laughs> well, is that a thing? Do college students put or an pegs enema. up their ass? I guess, no, it'd be an enema. Do you, be oh, enema. do you remember when people were soaking tampons to get drunk? Yes, and it, yeah. That is wild. Kids are crazy. I blame yeah. your generation. Yeah, definitely. We were just bored. That's what happens when you grow up with the internet. You get all of your like years like lifely trauma before you're twelve, and then you're like, "Well, fuck!" No, now I need to, to give myself toxic shock syndrome to feel yeah. anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotta kill all my brain cells so I know what it's like to be alive. <laughs> all right, when we post this episode, can you just title it "Butt Boobs"? Can we not yeah. even? Because we're not gonna get clicks if we title it "Swiss Army Man." No one gives a fuck about I'm this movie. I'm worried it's gonna get flagged if I call it "Butt Boobs." Because International Orgasm Day got rejected. Try it. Which is Just... so stupid. Because we have well, we have House of Booty Cracks, and that didn't get that didn't get flagged. What if you spell butt and then like the internet way of B E W B S? Beauty. <laughs> no, butt boobs. B E W B S. Boobs. Boobs. Maybe I'll just do it with zeros. Eight zero zero eight. Eight yeah, eight zero Five. zero B. <laughs> Lowercase B. Butt boobs. <laughs> Alright, should we should we do a rating for Swiss Army Man? Oh yeah, that's right. We were talking about movies. <laughs> I don't give a fuck anymore. We need to patent this idea immediately. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. I know you came here to hear about movies, but we we gotta take this all the way to the top. So thank you so much for watching. New episodes are coming out, but we probably won't be doing them because we're gonna be capitalizing on this big ass fucking idea. What do you think? We could be in stores by November. Like oh, absolutely. Black Bed Bath & Beyond has to be the first. Exclusively Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh my god, we gotta have a Bed Bath & Boob special. <laughs> it all comes full circle, baby. 
Oh, that's right. We have to rate the movie. Okay, yeah. What are you What are you rating it? Oh, I. This movie is great, but upon multiple rewatchings, it doesn't really hold up. It was great the first time I watched it. I cried the first time I watched it. Now I just kind of like this is a spectacle movie that's probably fun to show strangers. I would definitely put this on if I had like somebody that's never seen it just wanted to watch something. I feel like it'd be yeah. a great time for them. So I will give this um, sixty penis compasses out of 105 penis compasses oh okay um yes i think i think that i definitely think that i liked it more than i would have had i seen it when it came out yeah and i think that i like it in comparison to their next movie but also now i know where the bar is so i would probably give it like 70 butt boobs out of 100 oh I thought about doing the butt boobs, but I was like, no, we've talked about butt boobs too much, but you doubled down. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because you did it. I was like, oh, there's a breathing room. Breathing room to bring it back to butt boobs. <laughs> we do comedy here. <laughs> we've got comedic timing. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for watching Mixed Reviews Podcast. Uh, this is our best episode. We will not take <laughs> critiques on this. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like this, fuck off. We don't need your views. Fuck the haters. <laughs> Give me some love. Bye.